0: Welcome to episode one of the Dispel podcast. For our first episode, we are unbelievably blessed to be talking with a man extensively familiar with the world of feature animation design, art direction, illustration, fine arts, art history, and art education. In 2011, I was fortunate to attend his composition and cinematography class at the Concept Design Academy in Pasadena. Since then, there hasn't been a term where I don't bring his name up in the classes that I teach. I consistently describe his class as the best design class that I have ever taken. And mind you, this is after four and a half years of art college, many workshops, and many other classes I've taken during my career. I feel confident in saying that most of us working professionals and obviously current students could very much benefit by learning from his lectures. I really don't think it's sunk in far enough that Mr. Perkins' design class was exactly what I was always looking for. It was like being taught proper visual grammar. He takes everything you know, things you may not know and puts them all into an extremely orderly toolbox where everything has a clear and defined label and everything is accessible even at a whim and what i found most liberating is that he gives you the visual literacy to articulate to others and to yourself exactly what your intent is how to achieve it and how to pivot at any moment he's the man that art directed aladdin created layout design for oliver and company the little mermaid rescuers down under beauty and the beast and osmosis jones he might have also art directed the animation for space jam he was a visual development artist on brother bear bolt tangled and zootopia and in case you didn't hear me the first time he art directed aladdin uh, the, the original one now unfortunately i want to take a moment to give a heartfelt apology to bill for the quality of the audio which resulted in a bit of an echo i'm very sorry this podcast has been a huge learning process for me And I hope everyone enjoys Bill's interesting and enlightening journey. We are fortunate to hear it in his own words, Mr. Bill Perkins. Thank you very much for being here.
1: Well, thanks for having me in. Of course,
0: we are extremely honored to have you as our first guest. From my limited perspective, I would say that you seem to be a very thoughtful and analytical person, as well as a very artistic person. Do you see those as two mutually exclusive traits, or is that part of the same package?
1: You know, I I think the thing is, I think I've always been kind of an observant person, just because... I was the youngest of four kids. And, you know, my brothers, if they, if they got in trouble, I knew how to get out of it. <laughs> and uh, I would just watch what was going on around and, and uh, kind of react, react accordingly. But it, it just kind of became something that I was, um, to, I guess, a little bit more analytical about things. Interesting. And, and I know that, that a lot of artists are much more intuitive. But I think the thing is, that for me, what I've learned is, that we work with both sides of our brain. So, and and the the critical thing for me is is that we need both. I think to be successful, you need both. You need to be a good switcher in your head. Go from that analytical to have timely interventions so you can go in and assess what's going on.
0: That's great because I always felt that my my personal development was very much intuitive, and then I hit a brick wall.
1: Yeah,
0: and I was never I was never an academic student. So it was an interesting segue to have to be academic about. What was my, you know, passion and hobby?
1: Yeah, if 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 you are mostly analytical, you will hit a wall. You'll hit walls all over the place. What I found is, oftentimes, if you're if you're working intuitive, you're sensitive to the images around you, and you're looking at the images around you, and you're emulating the images around you. But you know, I think to be analytical about why are they working instead of what you like about them, uh, that's more uh, more potent information. So for me, it's a case of looking at things. From the standpoint of what's the glue that holds everything together rather than the pretty parts. Gotcha. So.
0: Well, I want to dig in to the beginning, which for the purpose of this podcast, we call the crayon era. Okay. Do you have any memories, any moments that you remember as a small child where you realized that you were going to be an artist? Or is that something that you gradually transitioned Um, into?
1: I guess I was pretty spoiled from that standpoint because my father is an art director in an advertising agency. Oh, wow. And my mother is a fine artist. And so... It wasn't uncommon to wake up on Saturday mornings to the smell of bacon, pancakes, and paint there <laughs> because she painted in the kitchen. <laughs> you were steeped in it. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so, you know, that was just kind of a normal thing. And, you know, it's kind of growing up. Um, I was interested. My brothers had two brothers, one sister. And I was, uh, you know, I played baseball and did everything the same as they did. But I think at a certain point, uh, I was more interested in, in art. And they weren't, and they get me hell for that because <laughs> <laughs> when I didn't want to play ball anymore, I wanted to go paint and draw. They're just like, What? Well, I you, some kind of baby. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's kind of came with the territory. But I, I do remember important things. I think that one of the pivotal things was, yeah, I was interested. And I remember from my mother, you know, when you get in the car and drive somewhere, we drive somewhere and play games in the car and, you know, license plate games and stuff like that. But she would, She would say, "Well, what color is that?" And (laughs) oh my gosh! And you know, so then I was looking at her palette, and she would just say, "You know, what color is that?" And what color is that? What color is that? Well, what color is the sky? Well, how would you mix that blue? You know, that kind of a thing.
0: Was she doing this to all the kids, or was it she knew that you had an affinity for
1: it? I got her. She got a response out of me. (laughs) (laughs) It's
0: it's red, mom. Leave us alone. We're playing baseball. (laughs) That's right.
1: That's right. And and I think it was you know that was one one memory that I have that um, you know was really good because it just made me look at things and not just look at them but then look at them and put them in the terms of a palette you know what would that mean how would gotcha. I how would I get there so you know that was that was one thing and the other thing was uh, I guess from my dad's point of view you know seeing what he did all the time it was you know in the in the sixties Mad Men era and oh, wow. going into the agency and on the weekends and stuff was kind of magical at that point too because well he was working all weekends he worked a lot and uh so if i ever wanted to see him i'd go in and hang out and when i was really small i'd go in and just kind of play in you know with a paper and draw and doodle and stuff and there was a um, a couple of books that, that he had on the shelf that i always kept cracking and one of them was uh, a book on walt disney and the other one was um, fortuitous yeah and the other one was um uh, an Andrew Loomis book. Oh, wow. It was um, fun with a pencil, I think. Oh, that's
0: so great. I, I think, can't believe those books disappeared for a while. Yeah, yeah. I
1: think, yeah, it was fun with a pencil and creative illustration. I think those were the two that were... Man, that's have.
0: amazing. I find those so early.
1: Yeah, it was, I was lucky. You know, I mean, it was one of those things that I, you know, I looked at them and it's like, gosh, these, these make sense. You know, they're, yeah, they're, yeah. they're so good. And, and of course, my mother was probably more interested in like Norman Rockwell and that kind of stuff. But, um, so I just kind of looked at it all.
0: I'm sorry, did you say your mother was a fine artist or mm-hmm. illustration? Winner. Okay, yeah. gotcha. She was a painter. Wow, so that's, that's really cool. You had that two, the two spectrums going on there. Yeah,
1: right. yeah. And later, I, I, um, I was interested in Nikolai Fetchin and oh. uh, in his artwork. And it turned out one of his students, from what I understand, a couple of his students were still in LA teaching. Oh, gosh. And my mother took a classes with Lydia Hernandez. Who was one of the students and sergey bongart was another one of his students that was still teaching in l i have
0: some googling to do after this
1: so so you know they were um and so she dragged me around to the the art classes and stuff like that and of course i was more interested in my skateboard than <laughs> probably at that time. And so, yeah at
0: that time how, how are you gonna sit there for three hours or what or was it the russian it like you stay there all day. <laughs> like, no, no, no. It was
1: it was a three hour thing, but it was very disciplined, and they yeah. were going and be quiet and be very disciplined and stuff. So, you know, that was that was kind of interesting to see. How, how
0: old were you when that started?
1: Oh gosh, I don't know. That was I, I had been somewhere around seven. Oh yeah, eight. I think because I think at a, I took my first art classes at eleven. Oh wow, I was, I was eleven because I was I decided not to play baseball and do art classes instead, <laughs> and um, and that was a fundamental class that was you know cubes, cones,
0: surf- spheres, gotcha. that kind of thing. That's such a, a great <laughs> thing I, I kind of wish for those few of us that know that early if we could have the opportunity. My niece uh, she seems to want to be an artist and I'm trying to get her to take some online courses like right now because I'm like if you start now you won't have to spend the four years after you leave high school to soak in some of this information. Yeah
1: yeah and, and a lot of it is just kind of getting into the right direction i think that's a big part of it sure you know that's that's a big part of it my son is an artist so you know that was you mentioned your niece it's my son's an artist and that's one of the things that i mentioned to him he he told me when he was in high school he said he wanted to be an artist and he had an extreme focus when he was younger he was very focused on everything that he did and um when he got to high school he said i want to be an i want to be an artist and so i just said okay
0: was he always sketching before he even brought that up no
1: no, that's Not all the time. No, I actually, actually the way it came up is, is when he first went to high school, you know, graffiti was a big thing. Gotcha. You know? So somewhere and, in there. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, you know, be, when he became a teenager, I said, okay, you got two options. Um, if you want to do graffiti, um, I'll buy your paint, I'll buy your markers, I'll buy all that. If you monetize it, if you paint on other people's property, I'll break your fingers. <laughs> <laughs> so it's either figure out a way to make yourself successful and useful with what you're sure. doing, or it isn't going to happen. <laughs> so that he ended up uh, doing backpacks and hats and shoes and all kinds of stuff wow. for his friends. So he worked real hard through high school doing that. And then when he got out of high school, um, I said, okay, spend a year and a half drawing and painting, and then we'll talk about it. Because I wanted to see if he was dedicated enough, because this business is too hard to take casually sure. you, either, you either gotta love it and be all in or not and so he I, I got him internships with the best people that i could and he started with scott christensen out in idaho oh and, wow Then drew with steve houston and kevin chen and charles hugh and you know I, I i just put him through different internships and with good people just to see if he would develop and not to learn just from me. I,
0: I've seen his, uh, so when he was TAing for Kevin's intro to character design, I've seen his drawovers for the students' homework. He's at, they're pretty great, good stuff.
1: Yeah. I mean, he really dedicated himself. Now he's working as a storyboard artist over in London. So yeah, I
0: heard he's he was over there. That's yeah, awesome.
1: Yeah. I have two daughters too. My oldest daughter, she could design things too, but she just chose not to. Yeah. She's a <laughs> professional snowboarder. So she's oh, wow. doing that now. And, uh, doing great and my youngest is still in high school so gotcha. she's a, a great volleyball player but I think it's one of those things that I, I kind of pushed on them just figure out what you love to do sure and the rest will come <laughs> but that's the main thing don't don't try too hard about you know filling a category or following some rules or anything like that just figure out what you love to do and it's going to happen
0: gotcha that's great your seems your daughter has escaped the curse of the desk and your <laughs> legs and back just deteriorating
1: <laughs> yeah yeah.
0: Um, so I know we we jumped ahead to your uh, up until when you were 11, taking art classes. Was there is there anything you remember like getting into kindergarten or just through your your primary school and middle school? Was was there any teachers that stood out to you or anybody that kind of made their mark, or was that most of that coming from your parents?
1: I think it was from my parents. Gotcha. You know, there was um, there was some projects in school, I think, but it was pretty much my parents. Gotcha. Yeah.
0: That's really interesting. That's that's such a a unique perspective. Cause I remember like having a few of my first art classes in elementary school and like, what is this colorful world and this, this, this room? Um,
1: well, do you think, I mean, this is the thing that I've kind of felt in most cases, most of the artists that I've met through school and so on um, have had somebody who's influenced them. Somebody who has been supportive when they're young. Sure. Um, I mean, I was fortunate, but for other artists that I've met too, when I asked them, what got you going? It's usually there was somebody there that was supportive. Yeah. You know, it's hard. It's it's rare the person that just did it on their own without any kind of support in, whatsoever. It's happened. But, you know, generally there might be an uncle or a friend or a neighbor or something like that.
0: that yeah, and I've noticed that those of us who had, you know, continuous support from our families and then you hear about people who just had ob- objection, like, oh, yeah. kind of like... Yeah, hitting a brick wall with their parents, and I I never really appreciated what I had, even if it was casual like support. Yeah, and like you, you don't think that that meant much, but then you realize how much it does compared to what other people go through.
1: Yeah, yeah, and even then, you know, I can say that was I was fortunate that way, but even then, you know, at a certain point, you end up rebelling.
0: (laughs) I was just about to come to that. Where did this come in?
1: Well, I, I think the thing was is for me it was it was when I got to college because I was I was going through my first job was working at uh, at a camp during the summer over in Catalina and so I went over there to work. My parents were going through a divorce, so I had a chance to go over there and work for the summer. So I kind of got out of the way, and but that was my first full time kind of a job, Gosh, It was I, a summer job.
0: You were a teenager, or something?
1: I was in junior high school. Junior high, okay and the winter before I started a little business of painting windows at Christmas. Oh wow. So that was, I was it's like temper
0: paint on glass.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I went down and got some crappy temper paint and, you know, painted up a couple cards and I lived in Glendale at the time and I went up to Montrose on my bike and started knocking on doors and they said, no, no. And I looked at me and <laughs> laughed a lot because I was too young and, and then someone said, okay, and I did one window. and then That's
0: was- amazing. I would have never, that would have never crossed my mind. That's so cool. Well,
1: I yeah. think it was probably the advertising side, but my dad yeah. was really good at lettering and stuff. And so, you know, I was always watching him do that. And I just thought, well, I could do that. And I saw, you know, other people were doing it and I thought, well, I'm going to do that. <laughs> and uh, so I, I just started doing that and it just kind of built year after year. Wow. And um, kind of taught myself how to do that. But I think that the fun thing for me was, you know, that started when I was in the ninth grade, I was in eighth grade, ninth grade, something like that, Christmas. And then it kept going until the time I was in college. When I got to high school, uh, there was a guy that I met who was an artist as well. He had a driver's license, so I said, why don't you be my business partner? <laughs> and um, by the time we got to college, we had three crews and seven employees. Oh, gosh. So... It was, it was the kind of a thing that...
0: Was it a seasonal thing or did you build seasonal, this like, okay?
1: Seasonal. Yeah, it was just seasonal. I just did it seasonal at first. And it was a lot of fun because we would go around and do... A, the thing that kind of set us apart was I designed some trims that were attractive, but they didn't block the windows. And that's what the, you know, the stores, the vendors, they, they didn't want anything blocking their windows. So I came up with something that I could teach other people to do. Gotcha. And so I could get people to help me that you know, didn't have a lot of skills.
0: That's interesting. So you you were, you were an art director before you were (laughs) an art director, you know, in the system.
1: Well, I was trying to guide, you know, I was trying to move farther. That's all just going to move, move farther than what I wanted to do. So it seemed to make sense. And so I did that and then it got me, um, freed me up. If they were doing that, then I could free up and do either lettering or characters and stuff. So at that point I was the, one of the things that kept, getting us work was we would kind of take on the business whatever the business was and improvise characters oh my so we kind of do improv thing for uh, the different you know whether it was a restaurant or a theme was this
0: is this the the first time you started getting into designing things with a purpose or like were you in your sketchbooks to creating characters or?
1: no i haven't been a big sketchbook person gotcha you know um even till today you know and, and i think the thing is is Today I, I burned through post-its. Oh, interesting. And and I think part of it is, you know, growing up with with my brothers and and then just big at being a big fan of like the Olympics and stuff, and and uh, listening to some of the what were podcasts kind of things <laughs> at the time. They were more uh, programs and everything I could read. Um, I was really interested in that kind of thing. And every time the Olympics came around, I was like, oh, it's just glued to the TV and stuff, and just the the fact that everybody was working really, really hard and so focused gotcha. and so doing something. I really admired that. But at the same time, they were talking about. Um, training the type of training that they do and one of the things that's kind of stuck with me was forget the failures you know and you know let your failures go and work on your successes so for me that's i only bring it up because of the sketchbook issue it's not that i don't draw i draw all the time but the thing is is i save my best drawings and i use those as a benchmark gotcha i don't want to be carrying around a sketchbook that's got some good drawings and a lot of garbage. Yeah, that, that's and, my life. <laughs> it's just... and, and, and you know, and I think, like I say, it's because of that training that the uh, that they do for the Olympic athletes to, you know, forget your failures. And I look at it as like, as an artist, like, okay, throw away your bad drawings. You don't need your bad drawings. Save that's... your best drawings. And then after a few more drawings, those aren't going to be your best drawings anymore.
0: This is fascinating me because I wouldn't, I never made that connection. I was... In middle school, a little bit of high school, I was really into basketball. I was terrible at basketball, but I just, I liked it. But I, I never, I guess maybe I never heard about the stories of like their dedication. I mean, getting into like, there's the same development in the parallels it has with what we're doing.
1: Well, I, I mean, I, I was pretty, I humbled up to a lot of those, you know, people that accomplish things like that. You know, and I think that's the kind of thing. It's like, well, how do they accomplish those things? How do they you know how do they move ahead it's like you know they're so much better than i am in a lot of different ways and so you know it's really one of those things it's like okay how do you make yourself better sure and you know and you look at the disciplines that they do and it just kind of seemed natural to me that you know i think you need to be humbled up by your drawings mm-hmm. but at the same time if you save only your best drawings like i'll go to drawing sessions and stuff like that and may- throw away most of them maybe save two three drawings but I have boxes and boxes of them, and you know, after a little while, they're not that good. You know, you <laughs> you know, you're, you're so. What you're doing is you're you're elevating on your better pieces, and you'll be humbled by even those pieces. It's not it's not a case that sure. It's not an ego thing. It's really more a case of just keep a high bar. Yeah, and uh,
0: I tend to hide my figure drawing pads in the garage. Yeah,
1: <laughs> and I just tend to get rid of them. <laughs> so. You know, but save the best ones, and then and then look at them a month later, and you know.
0: Gotcha. Uh, oh, oh, these go also can go. <laughs> yeah, then these can go,
1: and you're constantly editing and throwing things away and throwing things away. So wow.
0: So let's get into high school. Was there any academic art learning happening on your own or outside of high school? Because I was always floored to hear about high school students actually taking figure drawing classes at art center.
1: Oh, I when I was in high school, I did take. I, was it high school? High school, just out of high school, I guess. I took a. I was. Um, I guess the best way to say is I spent about a year um, out of high school drawing and painting and doing general education. I I, I didn't know where I was going to go to school, but I knew that I needed to get my general ed out of the way.
0: Was this after high school or during high
1: school? I, out of high school. Out of high school. In high school, you know, like I said, in high school, I had started that sign business, and mm. so that kind of expanded and. And I ended up painting like the mural on the, on the school uh, gym (laughs) and all that kind of stuff. Is is it still there? Uh, somebody else painted over it, (laughs) but you know, I mean, they refreshed it. How dare they? It it may be. And I don't know, maybe it's done completely over again. I don't know, but uh, I haven't been there. So, (laughs) um, but it, in during high school, I remember I would go do funny story in junior high school. Uh, junior high school, I would like I said, i started painting windows and stuff, and then I started doing some of the signs. And then, uh, and then my dad had a sailboat, and so we'd spent a lot of time down at the beat in the marina and stuff. And so, I and I had a little dinghy, so I painted the name on that, and then I ended up touching up the names on a lot of boats. And stuff oh, like great! That. So, and I remember one day, one of his friends, um, a business associate, uh, had a boat, and his brother had a boat, and and um. His name was Jerry Lewis. Uh, Don Lewis was his business uh, associate, but Jerry Lewis was his brother. And so I remember he wanted the name on his boat touched up. So I went down. I cut school to go down. and.
0: Just to clarify, when we say Jerry Lewis.
1: It's not the real Jerry Lewis. <laughs> okay. No, it's not. And, um, but I didn't let the... Um, uh, the attendants at the, at the school know that. I I just they just asked me, you know, you, you were out of school yesterday. What's your excuse? And I said oh, I was painting the name on Jerry Lewis's boat. And they go, oh, no kidding, <laughs> no kidding. And so they didn't even ask a question after that. That was it was just fine. I didn't have to get any, any signatures or anything. So, but um, just coincidence.
0: That's days. amazing. Did you did you name drop anybody else to to get a no yeah. no, no
1: that was just that was just one situation. I just thought it was kind of kind of funny. But when I got into high school. Yeah, I was still doing some of that. Uh, there was a small company in in um, Montrose that had like, the guy had vending machines different places. And some of them were the, the turning, um, like the wire turning things with sunglasses and things like that. And so I ended up doing like show cards for, for those displays. Oh, interesting. You know, so I do those and they get printed and put on you know, a little, you know, in in a little drugstore stuff.
0: And your ambition for this stuff all stems from your, your, like your exposure to your father's work. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It was all, it was all that. And he did, he did, um, one of his clients was um, Starkist Tuna. Every year they would do a, a kind of a corporate report and it would amount to what we'd say would be like a, you know, a digital presentation. But at that time, we didn't have computers. And so everything had to be done on, on, um, fadeless paper. This really delicate colored paper had to be all rubber cemented down. All the type was rubbed down lettering or hand lettering, uh, cells were over the top. And of course, so these are the things projected that we'd use. Yeah. You would see, and they would end up being shot in 35 millimeter film. And so there was a a projection that way. They were a slide projection and, uh, but all the artwork had to get generated certain, you know, like TV ratio. And it would be, we'd we'd be painting Charlie Tumann and, you know, all the... That's crazy. (laughs) ...on cells that he'd be, my dad would ink them and stuff. And so I would be just setting up cards and stuff for him. So I would go in, when I was in high school, I'd go in and kind of help him when he had these big presentations.
0: From middle school up until this point, when you're doing, when you do a character like that, how much of your education is...
1: uh, I wasn't doing the characters. He was doing, he was doing the characters. I was doing the setup. So I was really just doing pay stuff. But I was learning the business. I was learning what it takes to put things together. Oh, okay. Yeah, he was doing all the lettering, the characters, and all that kind of stuff. Gotcha. And for any of the stuff that um, that he did for some other clients, if it was licensed characters, they would have to have somebody come in and approve the drawings. Gotcha. You know, that happened with Disney and and other companies. If he did anything for any any client that had a a, a licensed character, they usually have to approve it. Obviously. So. so that was. That was going in through through high school. I was kind of bouncing around with that and thinking that I was going to get into advertising. That was kind of yeah. Is
0: you know, what was that something you were excited about or because you said at the
1: time? At the time, I was. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought that was that would be a great a great career.
0: So around this time, you're doing the advertising art how was your exposure? Was it, was it limited or was it broad? Like, did you, like, of course through your parents, you probably exposed a lot of books like we heard about the Loomis books. Um, but what about museums or other artists and like you're meeting in real life or trips abroad or trips to different cities?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. I, um, I was always interested in, I, I, you know what, actually, I guess it was, it was right out of high school. I was in junior high and high school. I had um, some neighbors that were really interested or they actually, they would go like the opening of the music center or the, oh, cool. you know, museums and things like that. And so I always, I always enjoyed doing that. And, 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 and I wasn't, I wasn't um, shy for the museums. I mean, I was, I was fine going to the museum bore my peers to death, but I would, i <laughs> I'd go, you know, if you just say, let's go to the museum, I'd go. So no, I, I enjoyed that. And then, um, and my mother being interested in in art at that time, um, Laguna Beach was thriving for you know, with local local talent or West Coast Southern California talent was a lot of it was coming out of sure, yeah. Laguna. So it was you know seeing different people down there that were successful in there in you know. Yeah, I was, I
0: was surprised when I was visiting Laguna and all the galleries down there. I had no idea that there was that community
1: for a while. You know, yeah, yeah for a long time there it, it was. And then you know this was kind of the tail end of. Of the big era of, of that from you know Edgar Payne and the other guys that started sure. um, shows down at the canyon and and uh, and then the galleries. There's still galleries today down there, but um, this was a pretty pretty popular thing at that time.
0: Gotcha. When and so throughout this development, getting through the, the advertisement work, was there anything seeding your what would next come your love for fine arts?
1: Well, I always liked to draw and paint. That was the thing, and, and you know it's just the the advertising stuff for the science one it just gave me an excuse to do it mm-hmm. and um and and you know make some money doing it so, gotcha so that that know.
0: was like what was cl- in your sights that was clearly yeah. in your sights at that time like, yeah,
1: yeah yeah like I say I, I you know I think the first the first job that I had that's when I realized I was in junior high and that's when I realized you know I was going to work from then on. <laughs> I wasn't going to have summer vacations like everybody else. It was going to be, you know, from that moment on, summer meant working. But, you know, that's fine. I mean, to me, it was like a feel of what you're doing. And it's, yeah, yeah. it doesn't seem like work. So it's, you know, it's great. So I, I didn't really complain. It's just, you know, that realization was kind of interesting when it that struck me. But sure. um, um, no, I thought I was going to get into advertising. And I was taking my general education and... I was taking a painting class, and then um, my stepfather said, well, where do you want to go to school? You know, he, you know, I went down, and I was living with my father at the time, and my mother and stepfather um, said, come on down for dinner, you know. So I went down, and they took me out to dinner, and he sat down and said, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I'd want to go to school, but, you know, Monday I'm going to go over to, um, at the time, a company that made billboards. You know, and um, I got an interview to talk to them about
0: what anything. city was this?
1: This was I was living in Glendale okay, and they were in Torrance and they just said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I'm going to go I'm going to go get a job at this company that's, you know, doing billboards and so I can paint, you know, and do some more that kind of stuff. And he just said, well, what would you do if you could do anything? I said, well, I'd go to school and I'd go to Art Center. And uh, he said, "Well, why don't you go now?" I said, "Well, I can't afford to go now." He said, "Well, if you get a portfolio in the door, then I'll help you with school." Oh, wow! So That's cool. I yeah, so it was great. And uh, he certainly didn't need to offer that, but he did. And and this
0: was your stepfather. My
1: stepfather. Yeah. Wow. So um, that being the case, I looked into it, figured out what I needed to do, and and then I spent a few months working on a portfolio. Ah. to uh, To apply.
0: And was this the summer after you had graduated?
1: No, I took a year off. Oh, okay. I took I, a year off. I didn't take a year off. It seemed like a year off, but it was out of high school. I took a year taking general mm-hmm. education courses. Gotcha. You know, and my interest then was, mm-hmm. and I was in Glendale, but my, you know, I set up all my classes before noon, so I could get out at noon and go skiing up in Angeles <laughs> <laughs> in the afternoon. So oh you know, it was like you know, that's what I kind of loved to do was was um, go skiing. So that's that's what I did. when there was skiing up there. When <laughs> there was skiing up there, yeah, yeah. So, but um, but that was that was kind of the the main thing and, until school started and uh, or art center started because that gotcha. was that was the kind of thing that I was. You know, going there, I I went into illustration and I thought, you know, I was going to do more of the illustration side, be more of an illustrator than the advertising illustrator. Sure. And so I went six terms. I took my winter terms off because painting windows was a moneymaker. I could make a lot of money in a short period of time. And so um, what I did was I went through six terms and then um, I kind of hit a wall. hit hit that rebellion mode. (laughs) And I just realized that I really didn't want to get into advertising. I didn't want to be an illustrator. Gotcha. And, um,
0: well you were, you must've been being exposed to a lot more at that point. Like you're in, in that world and you're seeing a lot more things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was, but it really wasn't something that came out of school. Okay. It was really more a case of just seeing, being around the business through my dad, you know, seeing the business and, You know at the time it you know it looked like you know maybe I heard a few times that you know he was having trouble getting paid by some of the clients some of the other agencies and stuff and I thought I don't want to be doing work and then having a paycheck withheld mm-hmm. you know or not get it or you know that kind of a thing so you know I just kind of I remember going helping him out one time and we had a talk and I was there working with him and, and uh, we were down in Hollywood. He was in a big office building down there. And I told him that I wanted to paint. He said, well, you'll never make a living painting. <laughs> you'll never be a, you know, you're never gonna make a good living. Get a real but, job, kid. Yeah, get a real <laughs> job. You're never gonna make a living painting. You know, do advertising in it. And uh, <laughs> I said, yeah, well, in this building, for instance, how many advertising agencies are there in this building? You know, he said, well, maybe two. I said, how many people work in this building that might just buy a painting? And it was hundreds, and I thought, hey, uh-huh. my odds are better there. <laughs> <Okay>. so, <laughs> so I just kind of, you know, I remember having that conversation with him, and he said, nah, you will never make a living, you know, selling paintings. And I, and I think the thing is, is, you know, one of my brothers, you know, he, he did the same thing as my dad. I'd, I'd bring things up, and by the time I got to college, I realized that as I was growing up, you know, I'd say, hey, I want to do this and they would go, no, you can't do that because of this, because of this, because of this. And by the time I was in college, I was, and I hit that rebellious period, all of a sudden I heard myself saying these things and watching their reaction, and I was really waiting for their reaction, and that would make make me act. And so I was really, I would, the minute they said, you can't do it, That's when, me me. <laughs> that's when it turned on. That's when it turned on. I thought, okay, that's on. I'm going for it. And, and um,
0: it was like pressing a button.
1: <laughs> and I didn't realize that growing up until that time. And that's when I realized that, wait a minute, you know, there's as soon as there's a clear challenge, then it, it's it's it becomes a clear path. Sure. You know, so it was a lot of fun. You know, after that, frustrating in the beginning of that because you know realizing all of that was was rugged, but. What it did, it made me look more inward and made me look at what do I want to do? Because that's what I was throwing out on the table. It's like, I want to do this. Mm-hmm. And um, and that being the case, I took, um, I took a year off. I needed to make a little bit of extra money, too, to get through. And I thought, okay, well, you know, I'll do a little bit of illustration. I'll do a little bit of work here and there and stuff like that. And I'll make some money and, and you know, for the year. But right. I'll give myself a year to figure out what I really want to do, and that was before you dig into your major. Or? Yeah, I had my last uh, my last year. I had two terms to go, and it was a little late. But I remember I I had about four or five pieces in my portfolio that they kept. I tried for a scholarship, and they were going to put them on the wall in the gallery. So, that, and that was that was pretty exciting. Yeah, you're going to get your work on the on the gallery wall. And I went in <clears throat> to get the review. And I knew I was going to take the you know the year off. And I went in for the review and they said, well, you know, we love your work and you qualify for a scholarship, but we need to see some financial records. Hmm. And so you I know, have five dollars in my pocket. Yeah, I asked. And because my dad claimed me as a dependent, um, I told him that I needed his financial records. He said, no way. So that shot my opportunity for scholarship. Oh wow! So when I went back into the into the school, they had my pieces leaned up against the wall. They were hanging the gallery, and and I just walked by and picked them all up and threw them back in my portfolio and walked out and oh, left gosh. for a year. I'm <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, a, yeah, it was a, little, a little bit of a roller coaster. It was a roller coaster, and I just I, I just I thought, okay, well, I'm gonna go figure out what I want to do.
0: Yeah, but as Bitter that must have been, like, there must have been a little bit of excitement of, like, knowing what your potential is or getting I mean, recognition well, for that.
1: Well, you know what? I, I was. I, I mean, I was really flattered that, that they that they were going to put up a couple pieces. I was I was very flattered. And at the same time, they said, would you teach the high school? In oh, wow. Class? So but they... The- and I said, wait, you're not going to give me a scholarship? You're going to offer me a job? I'll yeah. trade you classes. <laughs> and, um, and I just thought, oh, man, this is crazy. It's a crazy world. So I, um, you know, not thinking beyond that, I just got frustrated, got it, and left gotcha. and took my portfolio with me. That's so understandable.
0: Are you 19,
1: 20? I time? was 20. I was 20. Gotcha. Uh, no, actually, I was 22 or 23. Oh, okay. Right in there. Because out of high school, yeah, you took a little time. A, you... I took about a year and a half, and then this was a couple years ago. Because I, I took, it took me four years to get through college, and I was twenty-four when I graduated. Same so here. Like Twenty to twenty-four.
0: I took a year and a half off, changed majors, I had to take an extra turn or semester. See,
1: it's not that uncommon. Yeah. <laughs> People do it all the time. So. Um,
0: can Can we back up a little bit, and I, I just want to see what was your feelings about your own abilities getting up into art center, like? Like, what, what were you confident about or, like, what were you struggling with and wanting to really tackle when you got into to, to Art Center?
1: Um, you know, I, I, Art Center was a dream. I was terribly humbled by, by that. Yeah, but, I bet. I mean,
0: you hear that from a lot of people. Yeah,
1: yeah. And, and um, I guess, I, you know, I enjoyed what I was doing, just so I just kept doing it. I didn't look back. It was really more a case of just keep doing it and working mm-hmm. hard. And that's that was kind of the focus. At least that's where I looked at it. I think maybe I wasn't looking at a bigger picture, <laughs> gotcha. but I wasn't weighing myself against a bigger picture. I was, you know, before I went to art center, I wasn't, I wasn't really. I figured I was learning, and that was it. Mm-hmm. I didn't really, you know. I mean, I felt, I felt like I could draw and paint pretty well compared to my my peers in high school. Sure. But you know, there was only a few people that were. Uh, in high school that were interested in doing that so you know there was a, a a little you know group of people there but outside of that you know it wasn't and, and and even then that was pretty casual we were all doing stuff on our own pretty much
0: i see i was just thinking like considering how uh, thoughtful your your classes are i was just wondering if like you were tackling your education at that time in the same way or is that something you developed like getting into the animation industry
1: oh no no i um I think that, you know, I went through high school. I lived with my dad during high school, and he was never home. I mean, like I said, he was always working. So, you know, if I wanted to eat, I had to learn how to cook. If I wanted to clean clothes, I had to do my laundry. You know, if I wanted to clean a house, I had to go clean the house. So as my friends were going out and doing a lot of stuff, I was, you know, just kind of taking care of the business. Gotcha. But at the same time, um, and that kind of gave me that kind of practical side. It's like, okay, nobody's going to do it for you. Get up and do it. And so I think that's one of the things that I was, you know, kind of straddled with that kind of helped me jump into trying to figure stuff out because nobody's going to hand it to you. There's no, sure. you know, that's, that's what I found is nobody's, I mean, I did have mentors. I had, I had some great mentors in college. And I think the first time that I really studied was an art history class in junior college. I had to get a, because um, I really didn't, I didn't really learn how to study until that time. Interesting, And um, it was, the instructor made it so interesting, you know, with personalities and the people. It made me want to read more about the artists and, and understand a little bit more about their lives and things like that. And so that got me more interested. And, and I actually, you know, taught myself or learned how to study at that to, point.
0: To me, that's, that's kind of the point of this podcast. Is I always like to find out like what moment in time or what avenue brought us to this, these certain points where they kind of leap us to the next plateau either whether it's in terms of our learning and development or education in general
1: well you know i was aware of of a lot of artists since i was a little kid you know there's a a good number of artists that i was aware of through my mother uh and some my father but i think the thing was you know when when like i said when i took art history class that's when i really started studying and really started enjoying studying and, you know, and finding more about these people and their lives sure. and what they did and uh, what affected them and, and stuff. And, you know, cause I'd seen some of their work in museums and, you know, you see these iconic images, like, well, how did, how did they do that? You know, I, I was interested in their story.
0: Yeah. So. I remember our art history classes, like they're all really fascinating a little bit too early in the morning for me. But I when I hit the, history of illustration class and I found out about all these golden age guys I, I had no idea existed like that was kind of my moment for that was like who are these people they, they was a, it felt a little bit closer to home because like they're like just a generation or two removed right rather than you know
1: bingo right right and or, I think um growing up as well I I was fascinated by the 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 story of Disney Studios the innovation and all of that because that was sure. what I was reading in the books it's like you know they—they'd say, "Well, we want to make it more re- realistic." And you know, and one of the animators or one of the layout guys might say, "Hey, we want to do this." And you know, it seemed like Walt would say, "Fine, go to the machine shop and figure it out." You know? <laughs> and they would create an optical printer. They would create a, a multiplane camera. And they would, you know, they 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 would build what it took to capture the the thing that they imagined. And I think that was a, that was so powerful.
0: And you started about reading about that animation history in middle school.
1: Oh yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. And I, like I said, I lived in Glendale and there were a couple of um, animators that lived on the block that worked at Disney. Um, Al Talaferro lived down the street. Oh my gosh. And every, you know, every Christmas there'd be a big cutout of Mickey Mouse, Mickey, Mickey <laughs> on, the, on the lawn out in front of his house. And, and, uh, and there was another one that lived up around the corner, and then um, the Walkers lived down on the corner. That uh, was Card Walker, who he ran the studio uh, when Malt passed away. Oh, and he ran the studio for a few years. But he had um, they had a big Spanish house down on the corner, and there was a grass median in our block, and so we'd play ball or whatever. And you know that that's time, amazing. Yeah, it's yeah. like you know we w- when it started to get dark, that's when you go home. <laughs> you know for dinner you know just be home by dark that's that's kind of what the, the our world was we lived in a canyon over there and so like yeah. we'd be up in the mountains or we'd be playing or swimming or something and you know just get home by dark and i remember um ended up down on the corner one one evening when it started getting dark and they had a big spanish house with a big arch window in the in the front and bambi started playing in their living room so I sat on the curb across the street and watched Bambi. <laughs> <That is laughs> no sound. <hilarious. laughs> yeah.
0: Do you so, remember how old you were when that happened?
1: Oh my gosh. I was in elementary school or junior yeah, okay. high somewhere. That's awesome. And then one Halloween, I remember they had uh um, they opened their house like a haunted haunted house and oh man. And they had like body parts in the kitchen and stuff. <laughs> and it turned out they were the they were the molds for um uh, for the presidents? Are and you kidding the, me? The animatronic stuff. And, <laughs> hey, well, we borrow the these <laughs> Airbnb, you know. You know, so I guess they had borrowed those and stuff. So that's amazing. Um, but it was, it was, it was interesting, but still far removed. And I wasn't. I mean, I liked animation, and I was devastated when I picked up the paper one morning and uh-huh. Walt Disney was passed away. But I wasn't. I wasn't headed in that direction at all. Gotcha. It was, you know. I mean, I remember picking up the paper, thinking, "Oh my gosh." You know, my childhood's over. Yeah. You know, animations, there, who's gonna there's no gonna be no cartoons. <laughs> you know, I just thought that was it. So um
0: Well luckily that wasn't the truth. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, no, it was just my crazy kid perception. <laughs> so but um
0: Well, um just to give the listeners some context, uh what what was the year that you started at Art Center?
1: Uh nineteen seventy six, February nineteen seventy six. Seventy six through eighty. Gotcha. Graduated in May eighty.
0: You graduated when I was born. Mm. (laughs) Holy moly. Um, (laughs) Getting back in the art center, um, you were talking about some of your mentors there. Can we get into that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh, gosh. Um, I I guess, you know, my, as I went through school, there was a few different instructors that, that, you know, that um, I kind of try to pay attention to all of them but there was a few that that seemed to make a lot of sense to me mm-hmm. um and for one reason or another Dan McCaw was the first one that um really great painter and Dan had a head painting class and just a real nice person a really good person and then John Osaro was a figure painting instructor. oh wow the Osaro and, yeah John um
0: Mr. Osaro Head himself?
1: Mr. Osaro Head himself. <laughs> That's and great. And so, yeah, so I had a, a figure painting class with him, and he had a really interesting and innovative way of teaching figure painting. And, which is a crazy story, <laughs> one day I'm in there at lunch, and uh, back in the corner there's someone scratching away on a painting. And, you know, I brought my lunch that day. I was sitting there, and usually everybody gets up when the model leaves. Everybody gets up and leaves, and... I hear somebody scratching, barricaded over in the corner and they're scratching <laughs> away and, and on a painting. And I'm thinking, who the heck is doing this? So I got up and walked over and I looked around the corner and here's a guy painting away. And it was a male nude figure. Now, John would always teach us form by putting colored lights from different directions. That's why he did the planes of the head. And great instruction, great way to look at and see color, see form and, and, mm-hmm. and volume, understand understand light. And this guy was painting it with no colored lights, just flat lit model. And he's painting the hair on the guy's forearms and his watch. And he's now he's painting the waterfall behind him. And I'm thinking, this is really crazy because we're just trying to struggle getting through this figure. And this guy's, you know, putting all the deal details everywhere. And, um, you know, I said hello, <laughs> you know, and then I went back to doing what I'm doing, and um, turned out it was Tom Kincaid. Oh my god, <laughs> he was in my class, <laughs> and they didn't even know that's it. hilarious! And uh, so I had to sit there, uh, the last day of class when John uh, critiqued everybody's work. I sat in the back of the class that day because um, I wanted to see everybody's work and see their critiques, I want to hear what he had to say about everybody's work, and it was Tom's time to show his work. And I think out of about twelve paintings we were supposed to deliver, he had like five or something like that. And about that time, John was kind of getting burnt out of teaching and kind of had a short fuse with a lot of the students. And and I'm I'm sitting there watching, I see him put up only a couple of paintings, and then all of a sudden John just unleashes on him (laughs) and and it says, you know, how do you expect me to grade you when you only show us so many paintings? And and his response was, oh, I got to make a living. I am the painter of light. (laughs) Yeah, he said, I got to make a living. And I grabbed his paintings and walked out. Oh, wow. You know, and I thought, okay. (laughs) And then he surfaced later as, you know.
0: The painter of light. The
1: painter of light. (laughs) There he was, painting details on everything. So. But uh, yeah, that was a funny, funny story there. But um, that was John's class. And then uh, Dwight Harmon was teaching a, kind of an experimental illustration class. And he was a great guy, good-hearted guy, very experimental and encouraged a lot of experimentation and stuff. And so I was kind of fascinated by the fact that he did things that seemed effortless, you know, just like... On, it would look like on a whim he would just go down an avenue and I think that, that that aspect of confidence I guess maybe it's confidence or maybe it's the the willingness to go somewhere where you've never gone before and and keep going you know just to see what would happen that was kind of outside my my little logical realm of, of but was all that inf-
0: was that all informed by a classical understructure to what no. he was no okay. no
1: it just seemed like it was like off the wall. Interesting. Uh, to me, it seemed like it was just off the wall. But he would, he, you know, he'd bring it around to, you know, having some validity to it because everything was substantiated. But you might be. It's, it was really a case of being follow your inspiration, hmm. you know, and then wrap it into. You know, making your decisions about how you're putting things together. So it was, it was an approach that I wasn't familiar with, and 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 it was just the way he did things, and it seemed like crazy and out of control. But there was, I admired it because there was a, it seemed a certain level of confidence that he had in just letting go and doing whatever, and it and then figuring out the next move.
0: So what was that ratio between um, the analytical instructors and then the the intuitive?
1: Well, that kind of came to a head when I had uh, a color theory class. And I had Dan McCaw's class uh, one day. I don't know if it was a Wednesday or Thursday, but it was like a Wednesday. And then Thursday, I would go in and and have color theory. And um, Judy Crook was the instructor. She was a brilliant teacher. And I would go in there and write in my sketchbook every term she came up with because to me, it was Greek. I, I couldn't understand what she was saying, you know, in this color theory <laughs> class. And I realized my peers were the same way. They're like, I don't know what she's saying. I don't know how to apply it. And we're painting swatches and stuff like this. And and but I was writing them down. Then I'd go in the in the library during lunch and um and look up the terms just to keep up. In the afternoon, I I'd come back and you know so I could kind of hang in there. And I'm trying my hardest to try to figure out you know, what this was. So I took another class. I took an advanced color theory class so that I could figure it out. And I think part of that was the reason I took the advanced because at the end of the first one, um, a lot of my students and my peers were, were saying, well, I don't know how you, know how you apply this stuff. <laughs> and I looked at it and that was just as good as You can't do that. <laughs> so to me, it was like, well, I want to learn how to do this then. You know, if, if, if I felt so far behind... I, it was something that I felt I needed to learn.
0: So, from the theory, was there an applied color theory class also? No. Interesting. That no. I feel like that's that's how it, it was at CCAD also for us. And they, to me, that was it was a, a painful process because okay, I'm learning some things about color, I guess, but how do I put it into
1: an environment? Well, and that's that's that was kind of the, exactly the same kind of thing because. And that's why it comes, brings me back to Dan, because Dan has a wonderful color sense. He's a great designer, wonderful color sense, and works very intuitively. And so I'd go in one day and do color theory, and I'd go, then I'd go into Dan's class the next day, and he'd be painting, and I remember one day he said, You know, color, you either got it or you don't. <laughs> <laughs> And, and that just kind of shot the whole thing for me. I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. You either have it or you don't, you know? And I thought, and damn, he was, he was working intuitively and he just did have a great color sense or he does. And, um, you know, I mean, uh, that was, it was pretty amazing. And so, you know, it kind of, it, it kind of made me work harder because I thought, okay, well, if I don't just have it, then I'm going to learn it. And sure. then, you know, that's when I put my head down and just thought, okay, this is, I'm just stubborn enough. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so did you learn any implied color from Asaro or? How, how,
1: how light worked. Gotcha. That was, that was what John was doing was how light worked. Okay. And of course, working that way with vivid colored lights, color mixing came along with that.
0: Oh yeah. So you, you picked up a lot just.
1: Just because you, you have to. Yeah. You know, just, just because you have to. So it was good that way.
0: So are these mainly painting teachers and were there any figure drawing instructors that, that really spoke to you?
1: Yeah, you know, I had a a couple of different approaches, and I think Harry Carmian was the figure drawing instructor. Um, Jack Linwood did figure indication, and
0: what's figure indication?
1: It was more more drawing for figures for illustration. It was more gotcha. illustrative. Um,
0: so is that more about abstraction and getting an iconic read or?
1: a clear read you know and mixing up your medium a little bit okay and then there was another instructor there that um uh she taught she was teaching kind of an experimental uh, process um but i say experimental it really wasn't it was just more uh exploring your tools you know and so you know what kind of marks you put down that was kind of interesting because there were three different approaches going on there and you know, so it, it, it started making me focus on the marks I was putting down mm-hmm. and realize that myself, like everybody else, after taking um, Harry Carmian's class, I realized that, and taking these other classes, it was then that and then I realized that um, we were all, we would go to like Harry's Carmian's class and all try to draw like Harry, <laughs> okay? And then you go to another class and you try to draw like that instructor. And it made me question, what were I really learning? if i'm mimicking 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 oh sure but what am i really learning you know here and it kind of came to a head there was another instructor i had a fine art instructor uh peter leishkov peter one day did the brutal thing on me he uh you know we had, we had to do these large drawings right and we had ink and charcoal and gesso and all kinds of stuff I and mean, these large pieces and he came up behind me one time and i got nervous all of a sudden but it, you know i i kept drawing and i'd put a mark down and he'd go why'd you do that <laughs> i put another mark he goes why'd you do that i put another mark why'd you do that <laughs> and it was no over pressure and over and over and over and and you know he made his point clear it's like every mark has a purpose and you should have an intent instead of just trying to make something pretty
0: it took me a long time to figure that out i i there's so many paintings early in my development where I was just running in circles, just mushing yeah. things around.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think that's true for for a lot of us. You know, I think, you know, it, it, at some point you kind of hit that or get inspired to go through that. Sure. You know, and I was lucky enough to just have someone just confront me <laughs> with it right there on the front doorstep. And, and the realization of, of, you know, is learning just mimicking, you know, I start questioning that. So that was my – these were like my sixth term before I took off for a year because this provoked me to really rethink everything.
0: Oh, gotcha. So you just felt like you needed some breathing room to like dig yeah. into like
1: – Yeah, because if I was if I was going through just mimicking stuff, I didn't want to do that. I, I, I wanted to figure out – it was a bigger game. I didn't want to just do that. But I found myself, like everybody else, that's what we were doing because that's how we – that seemed to be how we were learning – a visual medium by just mimicking those visual marks, you know, rather than understanding what the intentions were behind those marks.
0: So I'm a little foggy on um, what, what exactly they were teaching. If I compare what I know about your class and Kevin Chen's class, like I feel like you guys really dig into the nuts and bolts and like the underbelly of things, being able to construct something. Um, were these three teachers mainly more intuitive or...
1: No, okay. no, uh, they had their own way of doing things. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they all had their own way of doing things, and they were teaching different things. But, uh, but, like I said, I was questioning what I was learning. It was I wasn't questioning their teaching. I was questioning the way I was learning and how I was responding to what they were doing. Gotcha. Do you Where, feel like
0: you were internalizing too much of you? You weren't becoming your own
1: no i i I was still kind of looking outward i wasn't really looking at myself okay you know i think this through this whole time i wasn't really looking at myself (laughs) i was kind of looking in awe of everything around me and just kind of responding and reacting and i think that's why i was reacting here i was at this expensive school and these great instructors and i'm just reacting and i'm not uh, i started questioning that you know that that i was only reacting and i wasn't i wasn't um i was trying to listen and pay attention like i i the best I could but I realized that my responses were just mimicking mm. you know and everybody's work I mean that's kind of the way a lot of people bounce through school is, yeah is is through you know just show me some examples and I'll and I'll do it you know and I'll get a grade and move on <laughs> and uh and that's when I learned to just you know during that that year off that's when I just thought that's no way to learn that's no way to teach <laughs> I didn't think I was going to teach at that time I was just learning you know but
0: in that year and a half off were you uh going to just open sessions for for art classes or like figure drawing or, or just doing studies on your own going out and painting landscapes
1: well yeah we did out, went out and painted landscapes and that's kind of a whole story on its own when I I was going to take took the semester off and um let's see it was September and so what I did was I took the fall term off and so I had about a month I started to do some Illustration work, just little freelance things that popped up. So I started doing a few things, making a few dollars there. And then uh, just before Thanksgiving, uh, a neighbor around the corner, um, who I didn't know, but I I knew his wife was a friend of the family and friend of friends and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, um, they stopped by and he was terribly shy, and so she did all the talking and I was out mowing <laughs> the lawn in the front yard and and. She said, well, can you help my husband out and frame some pictures? And he does these watercolors and would you, he's having a show on Thanksgiving. Would you, you know, frame some pictures for him? I said, sure. My mother worked at at an art store in Montrose, you know. That's very handy. Part time. Yeah. And so I learned how to mat and frame things. So, you know, she asked, I said, yeah, I'd love to. So I went over into this guy's house and he lived around the corner in this big castle (laughs) <laughs> and um, and he was making a living selling his paintings. Oh, nice. And I thought, okay, <laughs> you can make a living selling paintings. <laughs> and so that opened my eyes really big right. at that point. And he was doing these little watercolors. And he, would, uh, he had a little area in his garage set up to frame. So I went there for a couple of days. And he would come in and, and hand me a couple of paintings. And he had frames and mat board and stuff laying around. And he had everything down with wire. He had, he figured out how to take, he painted on an illustration board and he used the, uh, the mat board. He would cut into increments, take the centers and cut into smaller images. There was like virtually no waste. Oh. I mean, this guy had it down <laughs> so tight and the frames were odd sizes because that's the way he could do it. So he ordered frames, you know, that would allow him to have no waste. And so it was just just amazing.
0: Yeah, I'm getting stressed out thinking about cutting those angled mats. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, yeah, Maybe he, had, he had the right tools. Because made a big So um, he would bring in a couple paintings, and I would mat the paintings, and then um, and frame them. And just about the time I'm putting wire on, and he would bring in a couple more, and and you know, I said, why don't you just bring them all in? You know, because I I could matt and frame pretty quick and he'd come in with another painting and, and like you know just bring them all in and, and he just kind of laughed and walked out and he, like i said he was very very shy and then he um uh he said we'll come back tomorrow because we're going to have the show we need to hang the paintings you know in the house and he's nailing them. he's in, having
0: his gallery show in his own house he's having a show in, in his, his, his castle house. sorry yeah yeah yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> so he had like 14 foot ceilings uh, in the front room, right? Oh my gosh. And we're on ladders, nailing them into the walls as high as you could go. And down the hallway, into the kitchen. And I'm like, you're going to ruin your house. You're putting them everywhere. And uh, he had a lot of paintings. He said, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And so we're- in the Yeah, hallway. he's getting
0: his own gallery commission.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so anyway, he has the show and he said, just hang out. I So I was there for the day of the show and he said, just hang out here. And if anybody wants to replace a frame- you know, replace it for him. And so I hung out there and nobody came by and, you know, I was in his garage and then all of a sudden he came up and he said, he said, Hey, I need a hand over here for a few minutes. So I go over and people were, had their cars in his driveway and they were filling their trunks with his paintings and he needed help loading them. Just <laughs> bought them by bulk. Oh my God. They were, <laughs> they were buying these things like hamburgers. It was like a drive through, <laughs> And, um, and it was it was really amazing. So um
0: what was this artist's name again?
1: His name was Richie Benson.
0: Richie Benson. Yeah.
1: And he did he did watercolors. And so um that was quite an experience. So he told me, you know, I I sat with him one evening and you know, and and he told me about, oh, you know what? I gotta back up. That was actually the Thanksgiving before I took the year off.
0: Oh wow, okay.
1: Okay, so that was that was before I took the year off. So when I, when I did the, the following year, Thanksgiving, he drove by, and this time he talked. <laughs> and he said, so Bill, um, if you come by and help me frame some paintings again, I'll teach you to paint like a machine. <laughs> and that was, <laughs> that was kind of interesting. So um, it turned out the reason he didn't bring them down, he was painting them as fast as I could frame them. Oh my God! And he he was painting upstairs in his little room. So this this time he took me up in his room and showed me how he did it, his watercolor technique. And It was very simple, very practical. Like I said, he figured everything out. It was all practical. Where all the books and everything you're saying, they you know glaze it, light to dark, do all this kind of stuff. He said, "Look, water evaporates. <laughs> Soft edges when it's wet, hard edges when it's when it's dry. There you go. Oh my God! That was it. That was the lesson." so he would do a painting by the time the paint the water dried wow and so that was that was pretty much as anything and so uh soft hard edge and that was kind of his his process so but he he showed me what he had done and how he got started so that year you know i took his advice and started selling paintings wow i started doing watercolors and got some cheap little frames <clears throat> and took them you know, uh, he he showed me like in the art magazines in the back of the art magazines uh promoters would promote these shows uh these open air art shows and this was in the late 70s and he was saying yeah it's kind of dying out it was really big in the 60s early 70s and this is like 78 78 79 and so i looked up some promoters and they were setting up these shows in resort towns. so for that year, I did watercolors and traveled around from resort to resort. Oh, that must have been great. <laughs> it was a great. It was the best year. And, um, <laughs> you know, I was meeting people. And, and you know, my dad was like, I will never have to make a living doing this. And I'm like, okay, well. You know, and the first show. I,
0: I'll I, show you, father. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the first show that I did, I remember um, it was a case where, you know, I, I spent all my money, bought some frames, and I only had enough ga- money for gas to get home. Oh, gosh. so i put that in my glove box <laughs> and i had to sell the painting to eat <laughs> wow so you know i threw some groceries in a bag and i thought okay well you know um i'll do what i can but you know uh so anyway i went out to the show and i ended up meeting somebody um, out there who was really wonderful the two it was a couple uh jay and bev doolittle um and Bev Doolittle people know her name because she did Prince and was really big with Prince and they they did really well with their business but um I met them when they were just starting doing these little street shows Wow! and they had a display that was it was beautiful I mean it was everything was like tailored and I mean it was classy mine I had these cheap little A frames you know that I painted and you know lousy little frames and stuff like that and and uh so I was sitting there trying to sell the paintings and, you know, people walk by, walk by, walk by. And and uh, so finally I wandered on down and I meet them and I, I walked up and I just said, you know what, you guys, you guys, stuff is great. Paintings are great, your display is great. Everything's great. And they had a crowd around them and stuff like that. And and so I talked to Jay and he said, um, so what do you, you know, where's your work? And I said, it's down the end. He goes, oh yeah, yeah, I like that. And uh, he said, well, you know, what got you started? I said, I was going to Art Center. And he said, well, we went to Art Center too. And he said, if you want to get in this game, this is what you got to do. And oh, I great. said, well, wait a minute. <laughs> and I <laughs> ran back down, I got my sketchbook and I came back and, um, and I took notes and he kind of gave me the recipe. And oh, it, it was wait. one of those moments, you know, where he's just like, I can't believe he's you know, he's just <laughs> give me, and you know, when you asked me to do the podcast, it's like, you know, what's, the, what's behind, you know, the, 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 story what's the education, where do you learn? This was it. Oh, I mean, wow. he basically said, this is the recipe. And just um, laid it all up. Oh, he he delivered it. It He talked about frames. He talked about the display. He talked about Feng Shui. I didn't know any of this kind of stuff. And this is like, again, this isn't in in the late 70s. Yeah, that wasn't even a buzzword yet. No, it wasn't a buzzword. And he he was like, no, you have to have it open. You can't stand around. You can't, people can't walk up and feel that they're being pressured. And you have to take the, the, make people feel like they're seeing it on their wall at home And, and, you know, don't leave anything to their imagination. Give them, give them good artwork but also make them feel like they could when they look at your artwork they could see it at home that kind of a thing and just the psychology of the whole thing so i wrote it wrote everything down and on my way back home i was like driving across the desert it was in tucson arizona and i'm driving across uh back to california designing uh uh displays in my lap (laughs) you know as i'm driving home and this is
0: before texting and driving, <laughs> designing right.
1: layouts. Doodling and driving, you know, I don't suggest it, Don't do it at home. You and hear that, children? <laughs> yeah. um, but anyway, I was excited. And, and so I built some display, got home, um, made some money, sold some pieces, bought some better frames. And then I went to the next show, and I built new displays. And then I had my best show. That's great. And then I doubled what I made at the next show. Wow. And then when I got my new displays, or, or built them, I, I built them custom. And I tripled what I doubled. And by the end of that year, I was making as much money as my dad was in the advertising business. Oh, my God. So, you know, and at that point, it was a show over in Avalon.
0: This is all before you went back to our center.
1: Yeah, it was during yeah. my year off. And so... Um,
0: my financial records are looking better. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and Yeah, because I remember him sitting over, over across the way... Uh, watching, you know, when people would come over and they were buying paintings, and I was talking to him, and he was just laughing at me. He thought it was the funniest thing, <laughs> you know, that I was selling paintings out there and making a living doing it. And uh, uh, so it was uh, pretty hysterical.
0: That's so great, and we—I would have never known any of this. This is awesome stuff.
1: Well, you know what? It's—it was—it was kind of the road that I took I, uh, to find what I wanted to do. And at that point, I realized, you know, I like traveling and painting. And so that was, that became, you know, and, and I think the thing is, I had a lot of stress when I was at art center, like most students do in school, you know, there's a lot of stress. Sure. And, um, during the year off when I was painting, the other thing that I was doing is going to museums a lot. And I learned one thing, the best thing I think during that <laughs> year, uh, was that my competition wasn't in college. It, it, my, my peers were not my competition. Gotcha. Uh, my competition is in the museums. My competition is the best of the best. It's the it's the it's the lifetime legacy that people have.
0: Yeah, it's the reason why normal rock Rockwell always make me feel inadequate. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I I mean, really, that's that's you know what they've put down in their careers. That's that's the competition, and we're just here to help each other. Sure. You know, just get to become the best we can, and so that's that. I kind of learned that that year off no stress stress was gone <laughs> That's and, great. Uh, and so yeah then I was going to go back and finish up I wanted to get my degree and wanted to go back And but my point of view changed and I wanted to do a little bit more fine art so I pushed more of my electives towards fine art in the last two years sure. and then the night before school came um, all the stress came back <laughs> and I couldn't get over it oh yeah oh yeah yeah the stress and so I sat there and I was just like I, my girlfriend at the time was was talking and I was I had that thousand mile stare and I wasn't doing you know nothing was sinking in my head and so um, she was talking then the next thing I know and I was I was living at my mother's house at the time and I'd gotten sick at school or when I was in school I'd gotten sick and so I I moved in over there because I couldn't pay the rent and you know, I was out of school for a month out of work and stuff so I was kind of making my way back from that um, so I stayed there for the next year and then I was sitting in my room and she was talking to me and I got up and I walked in the garage and I grabbed my portfolio because I had a little desk in the garage and I grabbed my portfolio that, you know, got me uh, it was my illustration portfolio and a can of gasoline and <laughs> <laughs> and she starts going. What are you doing? What are you doing? It's <laughs> going a mile a minute. No, 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 no. What, what, are you, what are you doing? And I remember walking down the hallway. It was like really just a classic image. I, I I walk down the hallway and she's following me. She's going. She, she's saying, No, no, no. Don't don't anything. Go to <laughs> You know. And uh, and I walk in the living room and I see across the room my mother was knitting right in a rocking chair. My mother's knitting in a rocking chair. <laughs> and I watch her eyes and her eyes looked at me. And then my left hand, my portfolio, my right hand with the gasoline, then back at me. And then she started rocking faster and knitting faster And uh, as I walked by. And, and uh, my friend said, you know, you got to stop. You got to stop. I'm like this. And she just said, he knows what he's doing. <laughs> and so um, right. I, I walked out in the backyard. I grabbed a trash can and um, burned every piece, celebrated everything.
0: Wow. You, every you, you've actually committed to what my friend always threatens about his own artwork. My friend Eric's like, his quote is just light it all on fire.
1: <laughs> well, you know what? I, the thing was, I knew going back, I knew that everybody was going to walk into class and say, because we had to present our work and stuff on sixth term and and say, I'm going to be an illustrator. I'm going to paint on the side. And, and, and I knew growing up in that business, you don't have any time on the side. You know, and I thought, I've just spent a year painting. No stress making a living, um, doing yeah. what I love to do. Why would I show <laughs> my portfolio? <laughs> yeah, And, and it was, it was a fairly successful portfolio, but I thought I got to make a commitment. So the commit was more important to me at that moment. Gotcha. So I thought, okay, I'm going to make the commitment. I'm not going to look back. And that was the that commitment was is fire. <laughs> commitment by fire. <laughs> yeah. No. And I don't, yeah. I, you know, again, don't draw and drive and don't bring a portfolio. <laughs> unless you've got slides <laughs> don't do it don't do what i've done no i didn't have slides i didn't have anything i just Well, i guess
0: you know, now that would be iphone photos <laughs>
1: right right wow. no i i don't i don't advocate following the path because <laughs> it was but you know it was a case of for me personally it was a case of making a commitment sure you know that was that was pretty much it so
0: that's amazing um do you remember? Do you have any friendly or not so friendly rivals throughout college? Like people you looked up to, other students or peers, where you're like, "Oh, that's great," but God dang it, that's <laughs> oh my gosh! Little-
1: no, it was it was so cool because there was about six of us, I guess, that, and and three of us would get together and do our homework together. Oh, that's cool, you know. But there was about six or seven of us, I guess, and it was competition. I mean, it was it was game on. Every assignment, <laughs> every class. Because we were in every class with one another. And it's like, sure. I'm going to have the best piece on the wall. I'm going to have the best piece on the wall. And and that was the competition. That was the stress. That was the, that was the thing. Well, when I took that year off, um, those people all graduated. They kept going and moved on. Oh, no. And so I had a whole new set of peers gotcha. coming in. But I had a whole different attitude coming back. And when I came back, I came back with the attitude that, I'm going to listen carefully to the assignment and fulfill the assignment the best I can. Sure. You know, and, and do that, that. That's
0: something that I wish, there's this idea of I wish I could have understood earlier through college where I'm here to learn. I'm not here to make art for a certain period of time. Every figure drawing was, I got to make it a great piece of art. I wasn't learning anything. Or if I was learning, it was like at a snail's pace. Right, right. But.
1: And this this was a case where it's like, okay, I already knew that, I wasn't going to go in and there wasn't, there wasn't enough to gain out of just mimicking. There just, there wasn't enough to gain and there was more to be offered. Sure. And then at the same time, the idea that my peers were my competition loaded a lot of stress. And so when I was looking at the museums, that was the, the answer there was, you know, it was the museums. It was like the best of the best mm-hmm. and shoot high, go, go there. And then, um, <clears throat> so when I went back, I didn't, I didn't need to have the prettiest picture on the wall. That wasn't the goal. The goal really was fulfill the assignment the best I can. And, um, and that became the, my, my main.
0: Focus. Yeah. I would like to point out that to me, this is such a valuable lesson for any student going to class now and today, like that's invaluable.
1: Yeah. Cause it's, it's it, anybody can mimic, you know, I mean, and that's one thing that I look at, you know, with, uh, with the the internet i mean the, the difficult thing there is there's so much fan art out there and you know there's people that actually monetize their fan art and yeah. you know and so it's it's really encouraging that way but uh on the other hand it doesn't do anything for moving the craft forward
0: so your parallel would be you burned your fan art to, m- to fan move art. on <laughs> <laughs> fan
1: art, move on, you know, because it's it's really, and I know that's hard to say for you know to people that do monetize their 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 work that way, and it's become so popular to do, you know, I totally get it, but sure. it's just one of those things. Like I'll mention to my students now, wouldn't you rather be the person that people follow, you know? I mean, isn't that the better thing to do? You know, of course it's harder, yeah, but you know, don't be afraid of the work if you love to do it. If you get into it because you love to do it the work won't seem like work.
0: Sure. So you took that break from school and then...
1: My path at that time was, was, you know, getting back to school and finishing up my education before I moved on. Gotcha. So that was what I, you know, I, I knew I wanted to get the degree. I knew I wanted to finish up, even though my interests had changed. There was still more to learn, you know, and sure. I wanted to get that degree.
0: And leading up to your final semester term... Um... What was your mindset? Were, were you still like, I've got so much more to figure out even though I'm, I'm gonna get out in there and start making money, but.
1: Well, you know, yeah. I, it was interesting. My, my final year, um, I thought, okay, I'm gonna go to school. I'm gonna work real hard. I'm going to learn as much as I can. And I'm gonna do, I'm gonna, I'm gonna learn through doing the assignments. Don't try to mimic, just kind of push myself to try different things or, or do whatever I need to do and, and learn as much as I can. And so that was, that became my focus. And, and I didn't have stress because, you know, I wasn't competing with everyone. You know, I didn't feel that same competition and it wasn't an arrogance of any, any kind. It was really more a case of being more relaxed. About sure. Work. Just some
0: clarity about,
1: yeah. And realizing that they were stressed out too you know, and I didn't, I wasn't stressed anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it didn't, didn't slow me down from working hard, but it was just a case that it was more, I, w- I felt like I was more invested more active, gotcha. you know, that way. So that was, that was a lot of fun. But the other thing was the, the big question, okay, what do you do next? You know, what comes, what comes after this? You know, what do I want to do?
0: I mean, you've done so much already getting, leading up to leaving Art Center.
1: Yeah. Well, I you know, there's, I learned something during that year that I was kind of traveling around and painting. Um, that I love to travel around and paint, <laughs> and and that's what I wanted to do. And I thought, hey, if I can make that successful, I'm, I'm going bigger scale. I just want to go bigger scale. So, when I graduated, of course, I didn't have any money. You know, I had spent the money with, with school and stuff, and I didn't have much. And so, my friends were getting agents and and working for agencies and getting agents and and. A couple of them went to Disney, a couple of them went into animation, uh, a number of them went into advertising and so on, or did freelance illustration. And I went to an accountant and I said, how do I write it off my taxes and travel around the world? (laughs) And I found one. I said, look, I'm a a painter and I want to go around the world and paint. And how do I make a living doing that? And so he told me. And so that's what I did. Wow. And it was... That's
0: impressive, aren't it? There's... Yeah. There's so much about your story that just I never had, I didn't have the foresight like to, to go to the accountant and be like let's make this happen. <laughs> well, yeah,
1: I mean, it, really, the thing is, is, is even then before the internet, when I got out of school, uh, what I did the first thing I did was I thought, okay, well, um, John Asaro, I graduated. I remember at the ceremony, John Asaro came up and he said, "Hey, Bill, congratulations! Now go learn how to paint." <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know i got these guys keeping me humble all the time right wow. and, uh, and i become turned out i lived around the corner from dan mccaw and we're still good friends today and you know he and now his sons and stuff i'm humbled by what they do all the time I love so, the artists you know they're great and and um so we all stay in touch but anyway that was that was one of those things i just thought okay well it's going to take some hard work now working on my own painting and uh, becoming a better painter because i wanted to get into galleries and and go that road and you know the little traveling show didn't you know i want to go bigger than that sure. so um, not having much money uh i went down and i took this uh accountant's advice and i found a gallery that was interested in having a show because that was what he said you have to have a show based on a trip oh because then your trip becomes It's gotcha. validated yeah yeah, and so you need to organize it ahead of time. You can't just go somewhere, do some paintings <laughs> and sell them. that would that would be you to, write it off. Yeah, you have minimal minimal write offs so you do that. But if you're, you know, if you organize it in a way that this is this is your business and it is detrimental to go there, that's part of the the you know what everybody's expecting and stuff. So, so do you have to
0: advertise beforehand? Mm-hmm. Gotcha.
1: So I found a gallery that said they'd have a show, and I said, I'm gonna do I'm gonna go down to Mexico and paint for a few weeks and i'm gonna do some paintings and you know would you have a show and they said sure that's so um i didn't have much money but i could afford to get on a plane go to Puerto Vallarta and i went down there and stayed i didn't go to the resorts i didn't go to any of that mm-hmm. i stayed downtown in a shanty little place <laughs> you know and i was up before the crack of dawn and i was painting the fishermen and the fishing boats coming oh my in gosh. on the beach and I think by ten o'clock we were drinking tequila, and, you know, and then uh, taking a siesta, and then i go out in the afternoon and paint all afternoon, and and um, I
0: could just imagine you philosophizing on whether you can write off the tequila. <laughs> uh,
1: it was more the philosophy of who gets the worm. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, uh, that was my first trip. So then uh-huh. I I I did that, and then and then I just. Uh, started going to drawing sessions. I found I found places in drawing sessions where I could keep drawing from models, Gosh. and and then I was painting outdoors all the time. So I got a job because I needed to finance this painting every day. And uh, so I went down after graduating art center with honors. I got a job washing dishes, and uh, so by this time I was twenty four. Twenty yeah twenty four. And I'm working with 16-year-olds driving them home. <laughs> you know, I, I washed watch a dishes. lot of
0: dishes all through high school and college.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, that was my turn. Uh, but it was a really nice restaurant uh, down at the beach. Uh, it was a charred house in Redondo Beach. Oh, cool. And, um, and they offered um, health care, dental, all kinds of insurance. For dishes? Well, if you're a waiter, okay. But, but all the employees. So yeah, they, so, had, yeah, they wanted went, to be there. Yeah. I had a, I had a, I, I, I went there for two reasons. One, I was looking for a job that I could work nights, a couple nights a week. And I either wanted to work at the airport because I knew you'd get flight benefits that way. Hmm. And I could get full insurance. And I knew that flight attendants could, could kind of call their schedule monthly. And so I figured out the days I wanted to paint and do that. Um,
0: that's crazy. This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, so um, anyway, this way I could work a few nights a week and uh, make enough money to get by, and paint every day. So I painted every day, and um, and then I started to get into a couple of galleries, and I met some other artists, some other local artists, and I you know continued to co- drive up the coast or drive different places and do paintings and set things up that way, and so I I got together some other artists and said. You know we all wanted to get in we we're all young and wanted to get into better galleries and it's like you can't get credit without credit or credibility <laughs> yes yeah. so how do you how do you get into better galleries and you, you know you need an endorsement you need to do good work you need to get an endorsement you got to do or you need you need somebody to validate your work really because the galleries they, they they want artists that that are doing well that's, sure that's their thing so i i kind of threw the idea out to these other artists and i said let's Let's go to Europe and paint and let's go where the impression is painted and and then have a show at a museum. And they laughed and they said, there's no way. And I thought, Ooh, there it is again. <laughs> <laughs> Someone said you can't. And, uh, I'm going to
0: paint bells of <laughs> hay. <laughs> yeah. So,
1: um, yeah. So I, I I said, OK, well, let's get our slides together. I wrote a letter of intent what we wanted to do. And for this show. And then we started shopping around the different museums. And the Monterey Peninsula Museum agreed to have a show for oh, us. Oh, cool. Um, and this was going to be in 85, February 85. And so now we had to save the money to go to Europe for three months and go paint.
0: must have been a lot easier to trek those supplies around back then.
1: Uh, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> kind of.
0: Well, I meant just like getting them onto a plane and getting to mm. a different country. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, you couldn't take paint thinner. You couldn't take any of that kind oh, okay. of stuff. But, you know, yeah, it was a little easier then. But um, And you could buy plenty of supplies there. We didn't have any problem doing that. But um, having that show at the museum did give us better galleries. And we all got into better galleries. And that was what oh. we wanted to do. Um, so it was successful that way.
0: If you, if, if you guys are paying attention, we're getting a little bit closer to another tent pole in his career <laughs>
1: <laughs> well there was a lot of stuff that happened I mean the, the group just in a nutshell we had a lot of great experiences in Europe um like got robbed the second night all oh our, my gosh yeah all our, all our supplies got stolen and life experiences and my camera was stolen and all kinds oh of my stuff. god and uh, in Paris and so we went to the, the uh, police station the next morning to report it so that we could you know claim insurance on our cameras. And everybody filled out the report of what was stolen. And before I left, I had written my name on the on the tubes of paint because I bought a, a bulk load of paint for everybody and we shipped that over. And that got stolen. And it turned out that was a good thing because uh, we went to the police station and when we did, we handed in these papers and they didn't speak English, we didn't speak French, and you know we were stumbling through it. And finally they looked at my paper and they said, wait, Bill Perkins? Artist Bill Perkins? <laughs> I have no paint. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going, look, guys, they know me here. Which We're going to get into better galleries for sure. <laughs> so, you know, I thought, oh, this is great. And then they open the closet door and here's my paint sitting on the floor. It's like, that's how they that's found it. That's hilarious. Yeah. So, that's how they knew my name it was you know, the paint on the floor. So, it was really.
0: The Bill Perkins from the Louvre? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: So, um, anyway, it was kind of funny. But, uh, yeah, we, we, you know marched along and and uh and one of the guys when he got there his a lot of his stuff got stolen too and he had forgot his medicine he had a heart condition oh no and he didn't have any medicine and this was like the first week we were there he realized it and so now we're worried for him and and we're out painting in a field in france and some guy pulls up in a mercedes and and says you know would you do a painting in my garden or my backyard and I said, no, Ted will. <laughs> and uh, and then I see him drive to one of the art- other artists, and he must have asked him the same thing, because he points at Ted. <laughs> and so he goes over and asks Ted. So after we were done painting, we went over to this guy's house, and his fam- his, his wife made sandwiches, and we waited while Ted painted in his backyard. It's great. Ted. And so Ted did a painting in his backyard, and it turned out the guy was a doctor by trade. Are you kidding me? No, and he, he actually wrote him a prescription. <laughs> So, so he was all set. I mean, that's that's unbelievable. I know, I know. But you know what? I just found when you throw yourself out there in the middle of the world, you know, and just have a good intention and just do good, your things happen like that. So, it, positive
0: it, insanity might happen.
1: It positive insanity <laughs> did happen, and uh, but the group fell apart um, before we ever left Europe. Aww. Somewhere in Italy, the group fell apart. But we did do the show. Oh, that's great. Show was successful, successful for everyone, and, um, and that worked out great. But then that was in February '85, and at the end of '85, we had a recession. Oh, good. So yeah. the new galleries we got into, a couple of them closed, and things just kind of went bad. So the last quarter of '85, or the first quarter of 1986, I didn't sell one painting, and I figured I got to do something, and I. I wonder what that could be, <laughs> and I. Uh, one of one of the, I was teaching a landscape painting class, and one of the students was working at Disney, and they said, hey, they're starting a movie over there, <laughs> they're starting up on a new one, and why don't you apply?
0: That is just a very interesting timeline. Very interesting. I've got nothing else to say about
1: it. <laughs> no, no, it was interesting. I mean, because I, I, I truly was kind of following what I love to do, and without more... I wasn't looking farther down the road than just what I was loving doing. Before
0: we go any further, can you talk a little bit about what your emphasis was within these paintings? Like, I got to imagine that you had some sort of intent. You had something that you were pushing for as you were building this collection of paintings. Or did that switch from gallery show to, to gallery show?
1: Well, in the beginning, it was really a case of, you know, the location because that's that was okay. what was setting up the situation. My interest as far as my paintings were concerned was landscape painting and trying to capture that light. You know, okay. the, the the you know the feeling of that the spirit of that moment. What is that is that moment? Because I found the paintings that I really enjoyed executing, the ones that didn't feel like a struggle, the ones that were felt fun to do, those are the ones that people they came across in the painting somehow. And so that was one of those things that I kind of looked back at, uh, Dwight Harmon is, you know, that's the one thing he did. And, and, and it wasn't that I was connecting those dots. Mm-hmm. It, it was until just now and it's falling out of my mouth. But, uh, <laughs> but it was one of those things that I just realized that, you know what, if you just love what you're doing, people like that, gotcha. you know, and, and just do it as the best you can. So I was interested in that, and I made a lot of crappy uh, compositions, and I was always struggling with my compositions.
0: And but it sounded like that, like even though you were monetizing this, it was still just—it was a lot about the, the learning process.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I was—I was trying to learn as much as I could. I was trying to do better paintings. That was it. And even color. I mean, it was—it was a case where, um, right about that time, it was four years out of school. I remember I was—I um, went out and painted, and um, I decided I was going to take some larger canvases out and paint. And uh, I went to the same location a few days, uh, one after the other. And I had to go, uh, I think the next night I was going to work, you know, and I was down to like 79 cents in my bank account. And I thought, okay, well, I can go in and work tonight make some tips uh, and have a nice big steak for dinner (laughs) (laughs) or... I have enough for a can of soup and I can finish this painting. Oh, there you go. And so... <laughs> I wonder what Bill did. <laughs> I went and did the painting and I had a can <laughs> of soup. And um, oddly enough, I brought it back and I because I was thinking, what's wrong with this painting? Because something was wrong with the painting.
0: Why'd you put that stroke down?
1: Yeah, why'd I put that stroke down? And I thought, you know, it's not where it should be. There's, it needs something. I couldn't figure out what it was. And I ended up going back into my my uh, binders in the color theory class and oh, realized, oh my gosh, that's what the answer was. So I found like going back and the applied color theory worked. And wow. so and I, at that time I was sharing a studio with Dan uh, McCaw. And he came in that night for one reason or another. And with uh, an artist friend of his, that was like one of his mentors and his name is Don Putman. And so here I am sitting there with this painting. Uh, it was like 20 by 24, I think it was. And I had it there on the wall, and, and they both walk in, and they go, hey, that's a nice painting there. And, um, you know, and I'm eating my soup. <laughs> and uh, and Dan says, hey, well, um, uh, the folks from Shriver Gallery out in Tiles, they're coming out tomorrow. Why don't you keep that painting on the wall? Oh, and, cool. And Putt goes, yeah, put a nice frame on it. See if they'll, <laughs> you know, see if they'll get you in the gallery. And I said, well, I don't have a frame, and I can't afford a frame. <laughs> and uh, he goes, wait a minute. He goes down in his trunk. In his trunk, he had a twenty by twenty okay. frame. Are me? And he brought it up and put it on, and I got in the gallery. So that was <laughs> that's amazing. Again, it was a it was one of those kind of lucky breaks of being kind of in the right place and being surrounded with great people. Sure. You know, so it was it was lucky. I was lucky to do that. So.
0: And is this 86, 87?
1: That was eighty three. Oh, eighty three. Okay. Eighty three, and then, like I said, we had the show, the gallery, or the museum shows in eighty five, and then in eighty eighty six, I started at Disney. Oh, my first day at Disney was April fifteenth, tax day. Oh my gosh! Because <laughs> I, yeah. I had to pay taxes. I thought, okay, I got ser- I got to get serious in the. Speaking
0: of taxes, college. aren't they due early this year?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, earlier. Yeah, but that was that was my. Uh, that was part of my interest. I actually, when I had the, the first quarter of that year, I was thinking, okay, what would I do if I didn't do this? And I thought about it and I, I talked to my dad about it. And I said, you know, I really like painting, but the only problem was, um, you know, I well, I guess it wasn't a problem. I said, my interest was, I love painting uh, and drawing, but, um, and, and the fine art, but, I'd been doing that for six years by myself, and Interesting. I just had this situation where I could never have had a, a museum show by myself. It took people. It took a movement. It took, mm-hmm. it took a collaboration to get that done. So uh, I said, I just kind of thought, maybe I want to work with other artists, and my dad mentioned animation at the same time one of my students mentioned animation. He said, well, it's, it's one of...
0: Well, oh, you were teaching also.
1: I was just teaching a little a little watercolor landscape class for Fred Fixler, who's oh, an wow. illustrator, uh, opened a little school out in Calabasas. Were
0: you also a student of his, or did you just yeah. kind of run into? Gotcha. No, he,
1: he called me up and, and asked if I would teach a, a class for. That's amazing. Yeah, so it was, <laughs> I was out there doing that, and so yeah, I I you know I got into animation one because I owed taxes, and two I was interested <laughs> in the collaborative art and uh because how how does that work i mean when i started thinking about it i thought how do you get 100 200 500 700 artists all creating something that looked like it came from one person yeah and it, or one hand
0: what a unique situation in the art industry even at that time like where else was that happening yeah like the game industry wasn't there minimal animation studios
1: yeah yeah it's so that, that was my that was my original reason for going in but I had gone in, actually, I went over to Disney during one of my, my time off of college. During my, some of my time off in college, I thought, okay, well, I'll go get like a summer job or get a, you know, get a job for part of the year, you know, um, over at Disney. And I went in and I met with, no lie, they were still on the, on the studio lot. And I went in and I talked to Donald D. Duckwall. <laughs> and I had to keep from laughing because he gave me his card. And I'm like, no, really? Your name's Donald Duckwald? (laughs) Yes, yes. So, um, yeah, so I I interviewed with Don uh, Duckwald, and he said, he looked at my portfolio, and he said, well, let's go down and meet the background department, because I had mostly paintings and watercolors and stuff like that. So...
0: What was this year again?
1: This was 77, something like that. And I was in school at the time. And uh, so (laughs) I went down and... went down the hall and um, met the head of the background department and he handed me a a xerox on illustration board of a background from fox and the hound and said here paint this on the spot what
0: on the spot or did you get oh no no he said
1: take it home as a test okay here's a test go paint this and and i was so excited i didn't know anything and the first kind of a you know a, a job job that i wasn't And, you know, I was asking for a job from somebody else all of a sudden. So I didn't know what questions to ask. And I just said, okay. And I went home. (laughs) And when I got home, um, I realized, okay, I have this one board and I got to paint on this one board. And that was a little intimidating to do this painting. But then I realized, wait a minute, I didn't ask them what time of day, what's the weather, what part of the country. I I didn't ask those questions. I didn't have the information to actually do a decent painting. And so instead of doing that painting, I did about five small sketches. Oh, interesting. Nighttime, daytime, winter in the snow, summertime, fall. And I took those in and I said, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't paint your painting because I didn't, I didn't know what to do. So I just did these instead. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, they just kind of looked at him, and they looked at each other, and then we walked back to his office, and he said, well, you got the job. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I said, well, what does a job like this pay? And he told me, and I said, well, thank you, but I'm out of here. <laughs> oh, <laughs> my got, gosh. So I never took the job. Oh, my and goodness. That was my, my first encounter with Disney. <laughs> and, uh, and oddly enough, later, after 86, when I did work there... I think I was working there for about I don't know half a year, and I actually got a paycheck for zero. <laughs> How's that work? It was a billing mistake. Oh gosh! <laughs> but here I had I had a I had a card from Donald D Duckwall. I had a rejection letter, uh, and I had uh, a paycheck for zero. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it was it was fun to hang on to. I don't know where that stuff got off to, but I should have kept it all. That's
0: interesting. So you were you were making a pretty decent living, just doing your, your paintings going, was it, were they art fairs that you were going to or? No, uh, I was,
1: I was selling in galleries, yeah, yeah. you know, by the time of those. Well, stuff, what
0: was the, when you had your setup and everything? They, oh, that was, those were art fairs. Okay.
1: Yeah. Those were art fairs. That year that I was traveling around and painting, that was art fairs. Gotcha. And then when I got out of college, I was looking at galleries, but you know, just small, trying to get into small galleries and stuff and doing that. Gotcha. And then when I had a couple of those, then I worked at the chart house, but they had a banquet area you know and so I rented that and it had my own shows there you know so I could I could do that too I see that was six years yeah so when I got out of school that was that was six years of painting and just kind of being a knucklehead all Wait, the
0: when you had gone into Disney the, the first time did you know that either way you were going to be going back and finishing school
1: oh yeah I was just looking for a summer job gotcha yeah no it wasn't a, it wasn't a permanent thing it was it was you know it was there you know and I thought okay well you know, it's there. I'll, I'll go do that. <laughs> Man, and um, that's
0: amazing. I guess tons of paintings.
1: They, you know what? The, the tons of paintings and the traveling um, gave me a different perspective, you know? And I think that's the important thing is, and that's what I'm, I've mentioned to all the students now, you know, that I have now. It's like, you know, they're the same age I was when I first had these ideas and took off and did this. And the value of what I learned and the value of doing well, my one experience I mentioned earlier, I had heard about Sergei Bongart as you know a great instructor, and my mother had said, you know, she was no longer taking classes from Lydia, but she always wanted to see Sergei do a, a, a demo, and so oh. I took her to go see a, a demo one night, and uh, we watched we watched him paint, and you know he said. He said, there will be no questions. <laughs> I paint and there will be silence. <laughs> I will take a break in the middle and you can ask questions. And, uh, you know, don't disturb my concentration, this kind of a thing. So, you know, it was it was quite an affair. And uh, it was all a lot of pomp and circumstance that uh, he kind of threw out there. And so, you know, and quite intimidating. So after that, I called him up and i said that i wanted to take classes and he said well d- what do you do and and i said well i'm going to school now he said do you paint and i said yeah i'm going to school right now and he said where do you go to school and i said art center and he said i teach your teachers <laughs> you, you do 100 paintings and call me back <laughs> click he hung up the phone you know and that was it so i was crushed i just thought wow. oh my gosh you know here's this guy that, that's a great painter and great colorist and you know, and he studied with Fetch, and here I'm, you know, I ask him for a class, and he says, go away, Brent, (laughs) you know, and uh, just totally, you know, and that happened before, uh, before that, oh, no, that happened right in that year that I took off, right when I got out of school, because I thought, okay, well, I can do some drawing classes, but I I want to take a painting class, so I shot high, I want to go and take classes from, and he just kind of, you know it's locked me down I
0: told you no questions
1: yeah so um yeah so I was I, you know I was crushed yeah, I imagine for about eight hours <laughs> and the next morning I woke up and I just thought okay you son of a bitch I'm gonna do 100 paintings painting I'm one I'm not gonna need this class you know because again it was like you can't do this and so I just thought okay well I am gonna do this
0: was he doing portraiture or, or landscape
1: um he'd start everybody off with a year of black and white gotcha and it still likes black and white. And then it could move into color and stuff. So it's quite a, you know, a lot of people that, that did his training and stuff were very good. You know, I really respected it. But that's when I started doing the paintings and took off and started painting. And then, you know, I was learning painting through painting. You know, <laughs> it was that, that kind of a thing. So
0: Wow. That's a lot to take in. It was, just
1: kind of my, it was just the road that I kind of took on the way to Disney, I guess. Sure. So.
0: What were the last few fine art jobs or whether commercial jobs that you were doing before you did end up committing to Disney or getting into the door?
1: Well, like I said, I was selling paintings at galleries. Oh, so
0: this is continuous, like...
1: Yeah. yeah, gotcha.
0: yeah. Pretty steady work. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then it no, was, I was...
1: I was making a living on my paintings.
0: Gotcha. And then it was that conversation you were saying about to develop more, you want to work with a team and...
1: Well, that, yeah. was, that was what I realized... You know, after that year, I got into some better galleries, and that worked out great. After the gal, after the museum show, I was out painting more, and I w- at that point, I got asked to do more painting workshops. And so that's what I was doing: is I was, I was selling paintings, and painting, and doing painting workshops. Gotcha. That, that's what I was doing until, and until we had a recession, in <laughs> the beginning of eighty six, and then just like two thousand and seven, everything went downhill.
0: Man, it's, it sounds like you, you've had a lot of work, education experience, and then continuing education experience as you're working after college and and then leading up into Disney. Can you talk about how you transitioned? That's transition? life. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's a case. It just, Bill was living. <laughs> just jump in
1: and that's life. You know, that's why I look at it. It's like, you know, gotcha. I guess I, when I was in school, I had a track coach that, it told me you're either you're either growing or you're dying. <laughs> so I thought, okay, <laughs> it stuck with me.
0: Yeah, so. where's that bell curve? <laughs> so what was what spawned you to actually pull the trigger and actually go and approach Disney for a second time?
1: Owing taxes. Oh, that's right. <laughs> the taxes.
0: I forgot about the taxes. taxes. I got to do my taxes.
1: <laughs> taxes. And I was I was genuinely curious about uh, collaborative art. Okay. That, that was something that that you know I knew. We had failed in that one show. Um, When I did get back, there was a friend of mine, uh, Denise Burns, who she and her husband, they had a couple kids and that, and she couldn't go to the trip uh, to Europe. She couldn't go because she had small kids at the time or younger kids at the time and uh, in school. And so uh, she lived in Catalina and she started an organization called the Planar Painters of America. Um, I remember you talking about that. Yeah. Yeah. So she, she started that organization. Uh, with the help of uh, Roy Rose and and some other other people that she, they found some um, collectors and gallery owners and and so on to start the promotion of that so they started that organization and so I got involved with them and we had a show once a year at the casino uh, over in Avalon because oh, wow. big big show we'd go to Catalina paint for a few weeks and then we'd have a show of the paintings we did on location. Super and cool. then um, it was a big affair. One other time a year, we would go someplace. And so since I had started kind of traveling and painting, you know, Denise said, well, would you mind organizing the the trips? So that's what I did. And it allowed me to to go travel and, and paint. And so I did that. So even when I started at Disney for the first five years, I was still painting with the planner painters and I would go out at lunch and paint. I would go uh, during my break between shows, we were rolling out a movie a year. So we would do about, we'd have about 11 months, nine, 12 or nine, 10 to 10 to 11 months on a show. Mm-hmm. I was in the layout department. So uh, I had a couple of weeks. And so I always had that the trip. I would set up the trip with the planner painters during that time.
0: Um, could you talk a little bit about, uh, I don't want to get too far into it. We'll say that for a second interview. But can you talk a little bit about what that dynamic was getting into that environment and how learning might have shifted in different ways? Like, At Disney? Yeah.
1: Well, sure. Going into Disney, Dan Hanson was um, the head of the layout department. And Dan was a great mentor. And Dan, Dan was mentored by some of the best layout guys in the business. Um, Don Griffiths, Ken O'Connor uh, was around. You now, Ken O'Connor was retired by this time. And Don had uh, retired and passed away. And Dan used to talk about them. And, and uh, Don Gurbis primarily because he was mentoring with him. And so I would go into the archives and take a look at some of their work and try to figure it out. And I'd talk to Dan and, and stuff. And then I had some questions, some bigger questions. Because the shows that we had to do with the 2D layout, we had to draw one way for one show. And then the next show completely changed the style of drawing. And the next one completely changed the style of drawing. And that's not what you see today. But, you because know, everybody's branding and, and, yeah. and you know, and, and doing that. But I found it more exciting to have to change and come up with a new look for each show. So sure. that was really interesting to me. And so I called, um, I got Ken's number and I called him up a couple of times. And I had some conversations with him and asked him, you know, what do you, what do you need to know? you know, what do you, I just got into this. I didn't take any training for this. And, you know, I didn't, you know, um, I didn't go to Cal Arts, and, you know, and I didn't, I didn't do any training for entertainment. I didn't know what the job involved and um, what do I need to know? His response was uh, a little bit of everything, you know, just throw it in a nutshell. I said a little bit of everything. So, I didn't know really how to take that. (laughs) I didn't know how to digest that. One, You need to know a little bit of everything was pretty overwhelming and humbling. And, And yet I didn't know if he was being arrogant at the time. I realized he wasn't at all. He was just sincerely saying you need to know a little bit of everything. And even that didn't make sense to me for a couple of years. And a few years later, I really understood what he meant. And that was that with every show, you're going to work for a while on each show, and you're going to research you're like crazy. Sure. And you're going to try to learn as much as you can about the subject matter and be truthful to the story and truthful to the to what you're drawing and painting and so on and telling that story. And you're going to learn stuff along the way. Well, you work for a while on a show. It enjoys three weeks, four weeks in the theater, and then it's gone. You're on to the next one. But what you're left with after a dozen movies
0: all that study and is it. a
1: little bit of everything <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so i mean i'm not saying i have that but i'm just saying it, it after his career of many 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 movies he had learned a little bit of everything so it was easy for him to just say you know what after all these years that's kind of what you got it's just a little bit of everything
0: well as as much as it pains me i think that's an amazing place to stop this <laughs> with a little bit of everything is i know people on it want to kind of gut me for cutting it off with such a, a dramatic cliffhanger um, but this is amazing. Thank you so much. Oh, I, I know I'm going to go through this. I'm going to listen. I'm going to edit it. And I'm going to come back with a billion more questions that I hadn't thought of. Thank you so much. You, you've been an art hero of mine and so inspirational. And this is a blessing to have you here. Oh,
1: you make it too big of a deal. <laughs> it
0: for, <laughs> us, for us little people, it still is a big it's deal. Not a little people, it's not a little
1: people thing. I think, you know, no. we're all in the same boat. That's why I say sure. I I... We're here to help one another. You now that's that's funny story. I was at Disney one day, and uh, my wife, um, she's an esthetician. She works in a salon in a small town, and everybody knows her. And in, where I live, I'm known as Mr. Barbie because everybody <laughs> knows her. They don't know me, I Mr. Anonymous. And uh, one day I'm walking through the foyer at Disney, and there was. Uh, A bunch of students were coming through um, on a tour, and some of them had been my students at CDA or BYU. I had taught a couple workshops up there and stuff. Anyway, they came walking through, and I'm talking to my wife on my cell phone, and she can overhear some of the people in the crowd saying, oh, there's Bill Perkins, (laughs) like this. And she goes, who knows you? (laughs) Oh, that's so great. (laughs) And and that's, you know, that's kind of been the way I I kind of feel bad because I don't, you know, I don't, I I think we'll save it for another time, but I know the time when I started at Disney, it was a great time to start. And when I left Disney, it was a great time to leave. (laughs) And when I started, even Peter Schneider said, you know, we don't know anything. We're at the bottom of the barrel. The only place we can go is up from here. That's great. And so any idea is valid. And we were all a bunch of knuckleheads. But there were some <laughs> incredibly talented knuckleheads in that group. And so it was a great time to start.
0: Thank you so much, Mr. Bill Perkins, for genuinely donating your time. I was so excited that you agreed to do this interview. And I'm just as excited for everyone to learn from your journeys. You can find Bill's amazing lectures on the New Masters Academy website at nma.art. And you can take classes with Bill in person at the Concept Design Academy in Pasadena, California. You will not be disappointed. Thank you all very much for listening.